This is Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, two of the top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, one from California and one from Massachusetts, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams from rainy Southern California, one of the four days of the year that it rains here. <laughs> and this is Bob Ambrogi. And uh, oddly enough, the sun is out here in Massachusetts. Uh, I write a blog called Law Sites, another blog called Media Law, and also uh, do Law.com's Legal Blog Watch. And I write a blog called May It Please the Court, and Bob and I are pleased to announce today that the American Bar Association named Bob's blog my blog, and the Legal Talk Network in the top 100 blogs, uh, legal sites by lawyers for lawyers. Yeah, right. That, that's interesting since for two years we've been saying we this introduction has been calling us among the top lawyer blogs in the country. Now we have some official <laughs> imprimatur that uh, allows us to claim that. Finally, we get our accolades. Well, let's talk today about Mitt Romney. Uh, when he was governor of Massachusetts, one of his goals uh, was to create a judicial nominating process based solely on merit. He uh, used a 21-member judicial nominating committee that had been in place for some time, but uh, with some changes, to help make the decision-making and reform the nomination process for judges. Uh, well, now, some of that's uh, maybe coming back to haunt him, or maybe his own words are coming back to haunt him, but... Uh the story that's certainly been making the news here in Massachusetts as well as nationally is the story about uh, Superior Court Judge Kathy Tupman, who Romney appointed in 2006. Uh, recently, Judge Tupman uh, freed Daniel Tavares Jr. after he had served 16 years in prison for manslaughter. Uh, prosecutors were uh, had wanted to keep him uh, behind bars uh, on, to face additional charges for assaulting a prison guard. Uh, but uh, in, a, in a bail hearing, she uh, released him, and uh, uh, just not long after, uh, he was charged with murdering a newlywed couple in the state of Washington. And not that politics have anything to play with it, but uh, the source of the criticism against Romney is coming from his Republican competitor, former Mayor Rudy Giuliani. Romney's defending his decision to appoint Kathy Tutman to the Superior Court. But he did call on her to step down, saying that Tubman was the one who showed poor judgment in freeing Daniel Tavares, Jr. And, uh, of course, uh, uh, we have a long history here in Massachusetts, and uh, part of the reason all of this is, is coming to a head is uh, a lot of people are remembering the case of, of Willie Horton, uh, another Massachusetts uh, case, and the pivotal story that played in the uh, campaign for president of former Massachusetts Governor Mike Dukakis when he was running in 1988. Uh, Horton was serving a life sentence murder, and while on furlough, he raped a woman and beat her fiancé. Uh, just today on the CNN homepage uh, was the question, uh, who will be 2008's Willie Horton? Well, Bob, there are lots of issues, both legal and political, and that's what we're going to take a look at today. I'd like to welcome our first guest, attorney and news reporter, radio show host Dan Ray. Dan has been a reporter on the famous WBZ-TV for more than 30 years and has covered most every major news story that's happened during the time, including the Dukakis and Romney campaigns and the Willie Horton matter. He's well known for his dogged coverage, bringing to the public's attention the Joseph Salvati case, which culminated with Salvati's release from prison and a record federal court judgment against the federal government. Dan Ray now hosts Nightside with Dan Ray, which airs from 8 p.m. to midnight, Monday through Friday, on WBZ News Radio 1030. And, and joining us later in this program uh, is going to be 
David Frank. Uh, David is an attorney and a reporter with Massachusetts Lawyers Weekly in Boston. Uh, as a senior news reporter there, he brings an intimate knowledge of the trial courts, which he honed as a career prosecutor prior to joining Lawyers Weekly. Uh, most recently, he worked as an assistant district attorney in the gang unit in the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office, which is which is uh, Boston. Prior to that, he worked in the Bristol County District Attorney's Office, notably working on the prosecution team that secured a murder conviction for Jacques Robodeau, the cult member charged with starving his one-year-old son. David, uh, in addition to working for Lawyers Weekly, currently co-hosts a sports radio program with Boston attorney Scott Golefsky on AM 1510, The Zone, which is focused on legal and off-the-field issues that affect the world of sports. Uh, His show, Sports Court, airs on Sunday nights from 5 to 7, and David will be joining us uh, briefly. So let's turn to uh, the sport of a different kind, I guess, and that's the sport of of politics and, and the judicial process and start with our guest, Dan Ray. Uh, Dan, uh, this uh, has been certainly uh, talked about all over the the, uh, the the pages and the airwaves here in Boston. I know you've talked about this on your show. Uh, was was uh, our former governor uh, uh, appropriate in, in raising this criticism of the judge? What's your take on this? Mitt Romney, of course, in, in one way started this uh, by appointing uh, Kathy Topham, but he also... I think, had to respond uh, to the tragic events that transpired. Um, I'm raising the issue on, on my talk show on WBZ Radio, and for any of our legal listeners around the com- country, we c- they can listen to us, if not over the air. Uh, they can also listen to us on our website, which is WBZ 1030, the numbers on the, on the dial. And um, we deal with a lot of legal issues. But in this particular instance, um, it, it does, uh, t- in, to my way of thinking, I'll harken back to the Mike Dukakis, Willie Horton situation in 1988. I think most people, as you alluded to earlier, remember that you know Horton was a, um, uh, a lifer here in Bo- here in Bo- well, actually he's uh, outside of Boston, but in Massachusetts, and we had a prison furlough program which allowed um, any uh, inmate at that time, up to and including men and women who might be serving life in prison without the possibility of parole, to become eligible periodically for furloughs. And that that issue, interestingly enough, by the way, was first raised by Al Gore, uh, his campaign back in '88, and then the Republicans jumped on it with Lee Atwater uh, and produced some of the commercials that I'm sure people remember, the image of Willie Horton, uh, as well as the revolving jailhouse door. Uh, he, uh, Horton, on one of these furloughs, went to Maryland and uh, and, and brutally um, attacked, raped a, a couple in Maryland. He was eventually uh, recaptured uh, in this particular incidents here in Massachusetts, we have another inmate, um, and we can get into some of the specifics, but, but he basically wrapped up a very interesting manslaughter uh, term. Uh, he was uh, convicted, he was allowed to plead guilty to manslaughter of his mother. He basically carved his mother up with a carving knife, uh, and he was allowed to plead guilty to manslaughter, which seems to me to be an undercharge. But irrespective of that, he wrapped up his sentence in June of 2006, uh, the district court judge held him on $50,000 bail on a couple of outstanding charges for um, uh, allegedly for abusing prison guards. Uh, judge Tutman reduced the bail uh, to nothing, uh, to personal recognizance. And um, a few weeks later, um, or four months later, he allegedly killed this couple south of Seattle. And now this has injected itself into the presidential race. So my suspicion is that this story very well may have legs, and it may have more legs in the final election 
should Mitt Romney be the Republican nominee, than it does in the primary uh, season. It certainly has been raised as an issue in the primary season, but I think it's, it, it, goes to, it goes to a question of judgment and, and due diligence uh, on your appointments, and it's something that I think, unfortunately for Mitt Romney, he has to respond to. Well, Dan, since you're talking about uh, due diligence, let's talk about the Parra case. Uh, apparently, Judge Tutman was involved as a prosecutor in a botched case that freed a child rapist, um, and that didn't come out during her nomination process. That is correct. Uh, again, without overwhelming folks with too many specifics, uh, there was a um, uh, it slipped between the cracks, is I think the way it, it was it was characterized, and uh, uh, that did not come up. She had a, a Apparently, a good record as a prosecutor. She was involved uh, in, uh, in child abuse cases uh, in Essex County, which is north uh, of Boston. And uh, Governor Romney obviously wanted to appoint what he considered to be um, uh, stricter judges, so he appointed more prosecutors than he did defense lawyers. But in, in this particular case, and, and by the way, there's, there's certainly some blame for Judge Tutman here, but there's also probably blame for the district attorney's office in Worcester County that maybe didn't file these charges early enough. Uh, the warrant that was issued for Tavares's arrest uh, was uh, was a warrant which would which would not have uh, permitted the authorities to uh, uh, rendite him back to, to Massachusetts. So there's more than enough, I think, blame to go around. But the fact of the matter is, Mitt Romney's the guy running for president. I think it does call into question if you if you pick if you appoint a judge that fails to do what you wanted to have done, mean, meaning basically keep people uh, tabs on people, keep them in prison, or whatever you want. When you have a case as horrific as this, I mean, there could have been other mistakes. If this guy had walked away from Massachusetts and was picked up on, on a speeding charge in New Jersey, there would be there would be no controversy here. But we have two people dead in the state of Washington. That's why this case. I think, has, has garnered as much attention as it has up until now, and it has the potential, and again, I mentioned, hearkening back to Willie, Ta- Willie Horton, it potentially could be an issue for the Democrats should Romney be the Republican nominee in the fall. Well, but uh, for all the finger-pointing that's going around, it seems like uh, possibly Judge Tupman is, is the, the last one that, that should be having the, the, the finger pointed at. Uh, and, and part of what's surprising about this to me is that uh, Mitt Romney was so quick to point the finger at the judge without really, it, it appeared, investigating the facts of this case. I mean, you mentioned the fact that the district attorney's office might have been lax in this case. Uh, the, the Department of Corrections apparently was lax in, in bringing the charges against Tavares. And, uh, you know, even the Boston Globe this week editorialized that, that uh, Judge Tupman was well qualified to be appointed to the bench uh, when she was. Of course, it's always interesting when you see the Boston Globe uh, defending Mitt Romney because he was never a favorite of the Boston Globe, but that sort of uh, puts it aside. I think today the Globe was more interested in protecting uh, the integrity of the judiciary here. They, they, in these cases, generally there is a series of mistakes, but it would seem to me that if I were a Superior Court judge and all of a sudden a district court judge uh, hangs a $50,000 bail uh, on someone uh, for a couple of uh, uh, charges of assault and battery uh, allegations on prison guards, uh, that I would want more information. And, and my concern is whether or not Judge Tutman uh, sought uh, sufficient information. There's a red flag there is what I'm saying. $50,000 bail for someone just coming out of prison, that's a lot of money. Sure, but I guess what I'm saying is that the, the if there's a judgment issue here involving Mitt Romney, it wasn't necessarily in his appointment of Judge Tupman to the bench. It was in his being so quick to accuse her of wrongdoing in this situation without really uh, educating himself on what happened. Well, you know, it certainly 
Romney critics will argue that he threw not only threw her under the bus, but he backed the bus over her two or three times. Uh, you know, I, I suspect that that happens um, uh, quite a bit. Uh, maybe Rudy Giuliani didn't do that in the Bernie Carrick situation because he himself was closer to Carrick than I think Romney was to Tutman. But there is the the, the, the concept, I think, particularly when you're talking about people in an executive capacity, that the buck does stop here. And I'm sure that he wanted, from a political point of view, to try to stop this um, fire that was starting to burn uh, in, in the back in the backyard of his presidential campaign. Uh, again, I he may have been a little bit quick uh, on, on on making a judgment, uh, and I'm sure that there are those who will criticize him for it. I'm much more concerned about was the due diligence done on the the judge initially because no matter how you want to look at it, if this judge had held this guy on the $50,000 bail or learned more about the case, I mean, this guy not only apparently had threatened his father that he was going to kill him once he got out of prison, he would also issued threats against Mitt Romney. Romney, when he was campaigning in the state of Washington, was warned about this. So this is not, this, this is not some individual who's wrapping up on a motor vehicle manslaughter case. This is not some person who's wrapping up on a, a case where, you know, two drunks in a bar throw a punch at one another and one guy falls down, which is your classic manslaughter case. This is a guy that basically carved up his mother, as, is threatening to kill his father, has threatened to kill at least the governor of Massachusetts, who now is a presidential candidate, and he was allowed to walk without even uh, a, a GPS uh, monitoring device. It just comes back, I think, to the system, uh, the, the system collapsing. And the victims are two people who were living happily 3,000 miles away. And I think that that is where the focus on this case should be, not necessarily on, on defending a judge or, or, or even necessarily criticizing Mitt Romney for throwing the judge under the bus. I think we have to step back and say we have two people dead here as a result of the Massachusetts criminal justice system, wherever you want to place that blame. Uh, I suspect that there should be and there will be uh, you know, a couple of wrongful death actions brought, brought by the Mark family in the state of Washington against Massachusetts. And, you know, we're here, we here in Massachusetts seem to always ask, came to these situations, why is it always Massachusetts? And, um, and, and that's a question that I can't answer right now. It is a question that's being asked and being asked all around the country because it's seemingly, you know, California is fairly liberal, but there's a view that, that Massachusetts is a little bit too liberal with its handling of uh, inmates, especially given the second circumstance like this. Yeah, and, and, and the, the other issue that I think is, is important is that Mitt Romney is going to be running on a guy who was tough on crime. He's, he's, he, he wants to position himself politically as tough on illegal immigrants. He wants to position himself as, as a guy who uh, did nominate uh, people for the bench who would be tough on crime. And this tragedy, and I think we need to remember the focus is the loss of two innocent lives, absolutely innocent lives in the state of Washington. And we here in Massachusetts, you know, <laughs> our focus is very much on what Mitt Romney did politically. Did he make a bad appointment? Why did the judge do this? We, need, we, we cannot lose focus on the loss of two innocent lives who basically never expected in their entire life to have any interaction with the criminal justice system in Massachusetts. And clearly, it wasn't a direct interaction, but they've been victimized by a failure wherever that wherever you want to find that failure with our with our criminal justice system. Well Dan it's a good point but let's take a look at what Romney has to say for himself and contrast your observation about the the two people that were killed and and where the focus needs to be 
compared to what Romney said. He's defending himself. We have a comment from the former governor and now Republican presidential candidate when the story first broke from the New England cable news channel. The judge showed a, a uh, inexplicable lack of good judgment uh, in, um, in a hearing that decided to put someone on the street uh, who had not only in the past been convicted of, of uh, uh, manslaughter, but had threatened the lives of other individuals uh, and was a flight risk. So there he is, defending himself and basically throwing the judge under the bus. And but it was his, again, I keep coming back to the, to the point, Governor, this was your appointment. Well, that, that is the point. I, I, from, a, from a political point of view, that seems to be the point, that, that uh, as we say, he's, he's, he's thrown her under the bus. Lawyers Weekly this week uh, has a really excellent uh, editorial that, that uh, kind of explains the law in detail here. Well, Bob, David has joined us, and maybe we can turn to him. Right. I mean, the bottom line, I think the point of the editorial, is that you, know, you can disagree on the decision that the judge made. It's fine. I mean, that's what, that's what the system's all about. But if you really look at this case and you examine the transcript from the actual bail review hearing that took place in, in Worcester, it, it's very clear that the judge did exactly what the judge is supposed to do. She analyzed all of the criteria that go into bail. She looked at whether or not the defendant had a history of default on the record, whether or not the nature and circumstance of the case you know, were such that uh, a bail or, or a high bail should be set. And it's very clear from from looking at uh, the arguments that were made in the hearing and looking at the findings from Judge Tutman, that she was very concerned with the amount of time that had lapsed between the, uh, the date of these, these uh, alleged assaults on the corrections officer and the, the time when they were actually filed in court. It was almost 16 months in one case and two years in the other. She was very troubled by it. She put that on the record. And, you know, one of the points that we tried to make, or that was, they were trying to make in the editorial, is that, you know, look at all those factors before you start saying that, uh, you know, people should resign or step down or, or do, do anything else. Well, David, you're a former prosecutor. Uh, what, what about the prosecutor's role in this situation? I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, those that, that, that take the position that there are a lot of um, fingers to point the blame at, I, I don't agree with. I mean, I think the prosecutor made an argument um, that bail was appropriate. The judge didn't agree. That's not a particularly novel concept. It happens every day in courtrooms in Massachusetts. There's been a lot of talk about, you know, the, the dangerousness statute. People have suggested that when Judge Tutman set the bail at personal, that the DA should have somehow then moved for dangerousness. That would have been against the law. You can move for dangerousness at the initial arraignment. You could move it for dangerousness if the case had been indicted and brought to Superior Court. But the DA didn't have a choice to do that. He had asked for a bail of $100,000, which he thought was appropriate, and uh, he didn't get what he wanted. But that's not a particularly novel concept in the law. I think if you're going to look at blame, I think the Department of Correction has a lot of explaining to do, because I have talked to several sources in the Worcester County DA's office and some, uh, some police officers who are familiar with the case. The, the, the Department of Correction sent the initial assault and battery corrections case to then-District Attorney John Conti back in 2006. Conti's office authorized the Department of Correction to charge Tavares with those crimes. That was back in 2006. They waited, you know, 16 months to bring the charges. 16 months went by when they essentially sat on the charges. And I think if anybody has to do some explaining, it ultimately will be the Department of Correction. David, this is Dan Ray. How are you today? Dan, how are you? I'm, I'm great. David is, is, is a friend of mine, and uh, 
and, and David, I, you know I disagree with you on, on this case uh, in, in, in terms of responsibility. I'm, I'm looking at it from the, from the other end, and, and we can talk about all of the legal niceties that are involved here, but it seems to me that this fellow Tavares had a rap sheet that more than would have substantiated uh, the need for some bail under these circumstances. And I know, and, and I respect Lawyers Weekly, it's one of my favorite publications, you know that. But I, I also think that we in the legal community have to be prepared to criticize our own house. I think it's easy to point the finger at the Department of Correction, uh, and I think that the points that you've made and the editorial has made are legitimate points. They certainly fell down uh, in, in their respect in terms of bringing these charges in timely fashion. Uh, from a political point of view, of course, Mitt Romney was the governor here for four years, so it, this all happened uh, under the Department of Corrections while he was governor, this, uh, this, uh, this lack of response. And, and you and I both know that John Conti was wrapping up his term as district attorney uh, in Worcester County, and, and maybe there should be some responsibility there that they maybe should have been double-checking, uh, going back and finding out you know, why, why, why some action wasn't taken. But the bottom line is we have a couple in, in uh, south of Wa in Washington State, excuse me, uh, who are dead uh, because of some decisions that were made here in Massachusetts. And Again, I, I, that's where I disagree, though. I think we have a couple that's dead, um, assuming that the, the, the facts prove to be true, because Daniel yeah, we'll give, Tavares... We'll give Tavares... We certainly want to give Mr. Tavares the presumption of innocence, but right. um, I agree with you if on that. Go ahead. He's the one, if he's convicted, he's the person who the blame should start with. And I'm certainly, I mean, all I have is my track record. I don't consider myself an apologist for the judiciary. I'm not uh, on this air today to, uh, to be their voice. And, and I personally, as a former prosecutor, if I was arguing this case on bail, you can guarantee it. I would have asked for a significant bail. Um, do I agree that Judge Tutman should have released this person on personal recognizance? No, I do not. But do I think that that decision... Um, is 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 who is where the blame should fall? Do I think that you know Tutman should be blamed because she made a decision that in in retrospect is as bad a decision as one could make? No, I, I just think from a legal perspective, and, and not forget, I, I'll stop talking as a lawyer. As a human being, if you look at the types of cases that judges in superior court hear every day, Dan, they they, they deal with people who have rap sheets that include murder, that include rape, that include robbery. Judges have to make impossible decisions. And in the grand scheme of things, people don't like to, to say this, but if you look at the facts for which Tavares was before the court, which were two assault and battery and a corrections officer cases, one of which was a spitting incident and the other which was an incident from two years ago, they're not the most serious crimes on the books. And there's no way for Judge Tutman, for the prosecutor, for anybody to know that this guy's going to go out and allegedly commit this crime. So while I don't agree that personal was what I would have said if I was the judge or what I would have been looking for if I was the DA. I just think all of the, the uh, immediate aftermath where people were, were calling her an idiot, questioning what she did, you know, calling for her resignation, I, I, I don't see it. Well, and it's most shocking that, that, that Mitt Romney did that. I mean, this is a man who's running for president. What does this say about him? Let me just, if I can just jump in and make a couple of quick points, uh, David, I don't want to dominate things here, but, um, but, but first of all, uh, we know what the end result was. Obviously, if Judge Tutman knew that Tavares was about to go to the state of Washington and kill people, hindsight is always going to be 2020. No one ever could have anticipated that. I understand that. But the fact of the matter, it did happen. It's almost the same way with a football coach. You know, if, if the football coach uh, calls uh, a, a wrong play and, and it ends up costing the team the game, 
uh, that coach is going to be criticized for calling the wrong play. Judge Tutman made a mistake here in allowing this guy with his rap sheet and his record to have personal recognizance, in my opinion. And in addition to that, I think we can go back even further. We can go back to 1991. This individual, uh, according to the, to the newspaper reports that I've read, David, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, basically carved up his mother with a knife. While he was yep. in prison, he was making threats that he would, he would kill his father upon release. While he was in prison, he made threats against then-Governor Romney, who's now a candidate for president. I'm trying to find out how this guy was able to plead guilty to a simple manslaughter back in 1991. You know as yep. well as I do that a manslaughter case is when two drunks are having a fight in a bar room and one guy gets, a, gets knocked down and hits his head. That's your manslaughter well, case, not when you carve your mother up with a knife. So this not guy, necessarily, Tavares, though, Dan. Well, you know, there are some there are some mitigating factors. I understand that, particularly when the family might want might want might not want to go through the the course of a well, trial. Not, but, but in, I don't want to interrupt you, and I but I, but I will say, and I should full disclosure. I, I did spend four years. I, I was a DA for about eight years, four of which were down in uh, Bristol County, where it, where where Tavares actually was. Uh, you know, was charged and convicted on that man. But for I, I've, reached out, I've reached out to one of your former colleagues. I'm not sure if you were there when John Stapleton was there, but he is yep. now uh, in Norfolk County. Norfolk County, and he, yeah. won't re- he won't return my phone calls either, and I think that's well, part of the problem, too. I can, I, I but know can we just point out that he's, he yep. served his time for that? I mean, he had right. he was sentenced. It was a, it was a plea bargain. He's, right. He was sentenced. The, he served his time, and that's not an issue, really, in his release well, it is now. An issue, it, is a, it is an issue for me, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. It's Dan, an issue for me. Can I try to answer you, Dan? Well, there, I was just, there, I just, go ahead. There, there, and, I, and it, I'm not excusing the sentence, but there were, I, I haven't spoke to, to Jack Stapleton, but I have talked to some sources in that office and sources in the state police office that, that are attached to, um, to the Bristol office. There were mental health issues in, in the Tavares case that prompted the, uh, the sentencing that was done in that case. Again, I don't, I don't excuse it. I don't, I don't know what the particulars were. But just to try to answer you, I'm told it had to do so with let's mental say, health. Let's say you're right. And, and, you know, again, and when you talk to Jack Staple, then tell him to give me a call. I'd like to put him on the radio, and we can explain what happened. So all too often here, people are not responsible to the public. They are employed, district attorneys as well as ADAs as well as judges, are employed by the citizenry of Massachusetts, and we want to get them to come on and explain their decisions. If there was mental health involved in this case, this guy wraps up in 15 years. Has there been a mental health status hearing on, on him upon his release? And if not, why not? if mental health was a factor here in, in, in getting a softer sentence. And again, I realize 2020 uh, hindsight, is, uh, hindsight is always going to be 2020, but I think that, that we need as lawyers in order to make, uh, have, more, have people have more confidence in the system of justice that, that we all defend, that we need to, to get things out in the public and explain what happened here. Right. Because the bottom line is we've got two dead people in the state of Washington as a result of some decisions made in Massachusetts by somewhere along the line of authority. David, we're going to let you respond to that, but we're going to take a, a quick break and uh, have a word from our sponsors, and we'll be back for uh, your response and some final thoughts on this topic. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. 
If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Lawyer to Lawyer is produced by the Legal Talk Network and its staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. If you have a comment or question, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781-634-8959. We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show. Did you know that Legal Talk Network podcasts are also available as CLE? Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's CLECenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit. Check out our Lawyer to Lawyer host blogs, J. Craig Williams' blog at mayhavepleasedthecourt.com, likewise Robert Ambrogi's blog at LegalLine.com for daily legal observations, perspective, and, of course, a healthy dose of humor and wit. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years' experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams. And this is Bob Ambrogi. We're talking with two uh, lawyer, uh, lawyers and reporters, uh, Dan Ray and David Frank. Uh, and we're talking about uh, the Daniel Tavares case and uh, uh, Mitt Romney's uh, judicial uh, appointment uh, involved there. And, and David, you were uh, about, I think, to respond to Dan Ray. I was, because I, I think this is the first part of the, uh, of the interview where Dan and I are in agreement. I mean, my, to, to, to back up the claim that that I, I'm not here to just be an apologist for the judiciary. I think they made a huge mistake by not being per, more proactive and more responsive right away. They, they, the judiciary has been clinging to the canons of judicial conduct, which they say prevent Judge Tutman from, or, or, or others in the judiciary from directly commenting on a pending case. I, I wrote an article for Lawyers Weekly, which is available on our website if anybody wants to check it out, where I spoke to, uh, to two retired judges, one of whom was retired Superior Court Judge Robert Barton, who in 1998 was the chairman of the Commission on Judicial Conduct. He thinks that Judge Tutman made a huge mistake by not talking. He says the rules do allow for judges to make comments on things that were part of the public record. In this case, once we got a hold of the transcript, we saw that, like them or not, Judge Tutman did give answers. She did give reasons for why she did what she did. And I think we all would have benefited, and the public, non-lawyers would have benefited by having those reasons out there as soon as possible. I think we all got hurt by the judiciary saying nothing, because as we all know, a no comment or a, a nothing comment just raises the level of cynicism and, uh, and, and rightful skepticism. Well, David, you took a look at the transcript. Did you see anything in the transcript regarding a mental health evaluation of Tavares? No, and, and I think Dan made good points about 
the lack of um, of services that are in place for for prisoners who are released from from facilities, you know, at, at MCI Cedar Junction, and clearly this case screamed for something. This case absolutely demanded that services be in place to just to, to just not release a guy like Tavares into the community. And it's been a big political issue in 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 recent weeks where. Judge Mulligan, the, the Chief Justice of the um, for Administration and Management of the Trial Court, and others have been, you know, calling upon the the the, the, the legislature to change sentencing. And, and one of the main points they make is that there's not enough in place, there aren't enough services in place to actually help people and and allow them to transition into society after they get out of prison. Well, David and Dan, it sounds like both of you agree that there's been kind of a system-wide failure here uh, in the Massachusetts legal system from the parole, from Department of Corrections, from legislature, from the judge to the to the governor. Do you think it's fair, and is Giuliani's criticism correct, to lay that blame at Mitt Romney's feet? I mean, I, I just, I, well, first, I disagree with your premise that, that, suppo- that presupposed that I thought that there was blame to be laid at the judge, because, again, not an apologist. I don't think in this case... There's blame to be laid on Judge Tutman, other than the fact that she made a decision that I wouldn't have made of if I was the judge. Well, she had some, David, she had, or she had some background that there was a mental health problem, but she didn't do any evaluation. How do we know that? With that you said it was part of the sentencing issue. No, I, I said some of my sources, in, independent of the transcript, some of my sources from the Bristol County area have indicated that to me. There was nothing said at the bail review about mental health. There was nothing said about the alleged threat of Mitt Romney. I'm told some of my sources tell me that the, nothing was said about it because the, uh, the allegations were found to be unsubstantiated. They came from a confidential jailhouse informant. The Department of Corrections supposedly investigated it and, and didn't find that, didn't find, found that it didn't have merit. What That's about what the threats, told. David? What about, what about the threats against his own father? Well, I, I mean, those, I, I read the same press that everybody else right. did. I, I, I heard from the father those certainly seem to be credible. Nothing was said about it at the bail review, though. And what, all, I what, I'm trying to, what I'm trying to get at is all along the line, the system failed. Failed uh, in terms of allowing this guy uh, to get a lighter sentence than he should have received. Obviously, whatever went on while he was in there, there wasn't much rehabilitation that was going on. We can point at the DA for, for not doing some things. Maybe the Department of Corrections, some of the points that David were made were good ones. But it, and, 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 and I'm glad to hear you, David, agreeing with me uh, that, that the judges should be uh, more available and more accessible. The judge you mentioned, Bob Barton, was always available and always accessible. This is no longer uh, a, a pending litigation. Uh, the, you know, the Judge Tupman can't fall back on, on, on that situation. She should be able to, to get up and, and defend her decision. I just think that, and, and I, I know I'm not going to make any friends with judges or, or district attorneys when I say this in Massachusetts, but... The voters support three branches of government. The citizens, the taxpayers support three branches of government. We understand as taxpayers and citizens the executive. We understand the legislative. But the one that is so clouded by the mystery of that, 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 uh, that veil that, that we can never really peer behind, just like the Wizard of Oz, is the judiciary. And it's nice to be able to say, hey, you know, I can't say anything. That's wonderful. Normally that's said by criminal defense lawyers as the, as the, after the person has been arraigned for a horrific crime. And most of the time, people interpret, rightfully or wrongfully, will have no comment as the equivalent of an admission of guilt. Right. And, Dan, I'll tell you, my first day in the DA's office, that was uh, lesson number one. I mean, I, as an assistant DA, the last thing I wanted to see was my name in print. Does this right. lead either of you to say that Massachusetts should consider uh, a system of electing judges rather than appointing? I am 120% against it. And, and a case like this, 
makes it 125% because the worst thing that you could have is a judge making a decision based upon wanting to get reelected. You, I mean, people at this point, people mock the, the concept of an independent judiciary, but could you imagine if a judge made a decision that the judge didn't think was right, but made it because they want to get reelected? I, I couldn't be stronger against it. Let, let me agree with David on that. I think the system we have of appointing judges uh, in Massachusetts, just as we have in the federal system, is the right uh, system of, of appointing judges. But I think they need, they need to be more responsible. As David knows, and maybe as some of your listeners know, uh, I have um, uh, taken up a cause on behalf of some individuals who were wrongfully convicted here and, and spent 109 years cumulatively in prison for crimes they didn't commit. And it was uh, federal judges, Judge Mark Wolf, Judge Nancy Gertner here, as well as district attorneys in Suffolk County, David Meyer uh, and, um, and Mark Lee, who helped us free innocent men. Uh, so there are a lot of folks, whether appointed or not, who know how to administer the system of justice. I just think that when mistakes are made, there should be responsible questions asked and responsible uh, answers given. We're talking about this case. David doesn't have all the facts. I know I don't have all the facts. And if, we don't, if David and I don't have all the facts, as, as, as much as we're interested, the public in Massachusetts certainly doesn't have all the facts. And that is a shame, and that is what allows demagoguery to, to go forward. I think in a response to a question we didn't respond to, Rudy Giuliani has, has every right to say whatever he wants to say about Mitt Romney. Ultimately, it will be the public who will decide how legitimate uh, that criticism is. David, we've reached the point in our program we need to start wrapping up and get your final thoughts. But in California, we have a mixed system. We elect our judges and we also appoint our judges. Uh, the local bar associations rate each one of the judges, and they generally get elected based upon those ratings. So there's uh, an independent evaluation that gets conducted as whether they're fit to be elected or not. It might be an interesting system for Massachusetts to try. But as we wrap up our program here, we what we would like to do is get your final thoughts uh, and get your contact information so that our listeners can follow up with you individually if they'd like or listen to your programs and read your editorials. So, uh, David, let's start with you. Sure. I mean, I, I would say that uh, as far as you know, this being a topic of discussion in, in a uh, primary, uh, one of the most important things that a, a president does is, is nominate and appoint federal judges, so certainly fair game for this to be a topic of discussion. I would just say, again, not being an apologist for the judiciary, but I would just ask, walk into court on Monday, go into Suffolk Superior Court and watch the bail reviews. Try to pick the case that you think something like this could happen on. The bottom line the judge was made a decision that I don't agree with, that a lot of people may not have made if they were in that position, but the judge made a decision that was lawful, that was based upon legitimate bail factors, and unfortunately it, uh, it, it resulted in tragedy. It's, it's a terrible situation, um, and if, if, if any lesson comes out of this, it's not that judges need to act differently when they do bails. It's that judges and everybody else need to be responsive when the public asks legitimate questions about what happened. As far as contact information... We've written a lot about this at Lawyers Weekly. I'd encourage you to check it out on our website. That's www.masslawyersweekly.com. Um, my name is David Frank, and I can certainly be reached there as well. And Dan. Uh, again, I want to thank my friend David Frank, who normally he and I see things fairly closely. This is one, I think, where we have a split in the districts. Uh, I, I, everyone, I guess, has heard what I've said. I think that the judiciary uh, and, and our criminal justice system has to be more uh, open to uh, inspection and criticism, and I do think that we need to pull back uh, this this veil, this this curtain of mystery uh, that I think too many people are not able to see through, 
and, and this is an example. Again, I'm sure this judge would not have released this guy, Tavares, if she thought for a moment that he was going to do what he did. But the sad fact of the matter is he did do what he did. I think there were enough warning signs there for a lot of people uh, to say, wait a sec, let's slow this thing down here. Uh, let's, let's do something that, uh, uh, that, that, that perhaps uh, gives everyone an opportunity to look at this uh, situation a little bit more clearly. I think it was a judgment that was, that was, that was wrong. I think it was a judgment, uh, although you may not be able to criticize it in the law, I think you can criticize it in a question of, of haste and that maybe enough information, enough background information was not sought. If anyone uh, is interested, I do a radio show in Boston on WBZ Radio. Uh, which is an AM station, our website, anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world, WBZ1030, which is where we st stand on the AM dial, dot com, and you can email me through there. You can drop me a letter at WBZ Radio in Boston. Love to hear from lawyers uh, around the country, that's for sure. And judges. Dan and David, thanks very much for participating in the show. My pleasure. Dan and David, thanks a lot. Uh, really appreciate your time. It's a great show, a great conversation. Uh, and uh, we want to remind our listeners, uh, again, uh, uh, we're, we're proud to have been picked as among the top 100 law blogs by the ABA Journal. And uh, you can go to that site and, and cast your votes for a reader's poll for the, the best of the lot there. So uh, go ahead, vote for Craig's blog, my blog, and the Legal Talk Network. See you next week, Craig. And thanks very much for listening. Bob, we'll talk to you next week. Look forward to it. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.